We'll continue in the book of Luke, the 16th chapter. We will finish the text here that Brother John began. We will read from verse 22 to 31. It's a little bit longer of a text, but it explains the narrative here that Jesus gives. So we'll begin at verse 22 through verse 31. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great goal fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Some sobering account. Some say that this story here, this account, was a parable that Jesus taught. Other scholars say that it was an actual occurrence. Some believe it was an actual occurrence because Jesus did not introduce this as a parable or an allegory, and he happens to mention Lazarus by name. None of the other parables do we ever see Jesus calling somebody by a specific name. But really, whether this is a parable or an actual event, doesn't make a lot of difference. These are the words of the Lord, and he told us this account for a reason. The Lord deals with three great issues that all of us must one day face. He deals with life, death, and eternity, or life after death. We also see in this account how we live affects the condition that we are in when we die. And the condition that we are in when we die affects the condition and the location of where we spend eternity. It's been said, whatever condition we end this life in or when the Lord returns, in that condition we remain. And this account here certainly bears that out. We see many contrasts in this account. We're introduced to two men. One is given a name, the other is not. But the first man we're introduced to here in verse 19 tells us about this rich man. It says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. It says he was clothed in purple and fine linen. The purple that it refers to here would have been what's called royal purple. 
and it was a particular color in a dye that was very costly, very expensive to produce, and it was reserved for those that were of royalty or that were in a very, very high position in society. Uh, one commentator even said there were certain laws against wearing purple if you weren't in a certain social position or if you weren't royalty or you weren't of a certain uh, one of the upper class, then you weren't even allowed to wear this color. But uh, obviously, Miss Amanda said he dressed this way every day in, in fine linen. No doubt it was probably Egyptian cotton, the best clothes that money could buy. If this man were alive today, he'd probably be wearing a new custom-made Armani suit every day and maybe a pair of alligator skin shoes. My dad actually almost bought a pair of alligator skin shoes one time many years ago. He happened to be at Nordstrom, and he was in the men's shoe section, and he saw this genuine alligator skin shoes. Couldn't even find them today because it's illegal, but... He couldn't believe the price. This was many years ago. They were only $140, which back then was extremely expensive. But he thought, man, at that price, I better stretch a little bit and I'll get myself this pair of shoes. And amazing, it was his size. So he went up to the cash register and they rang him up for $1,140. So he misread the tag, obviously. He missed it by about $1,000. So he left without alligator skin shoes. But this man here, money was no object. He could dress very lavishly, and he wanted everybody to know that he had great wealth. It says that he fared sumptuously every day. That means he feasted every day. I can imagine the spread that was put out before this man every day. It probably looked like a buffet table of all the finest foods. No doubt he had cooks to prepare the meals. Everything, I'm sure, was kosher and just... Perfect. And every day he ate very lavishly. The word sumptuous means extremely costly, rich, luxurious, or magnificent. I'm kind of thinking this man's fancy clothes probably had some give to it because he was probably quite a large man eating that way every single day. We know he lived in a gated community. The Bible tells us, or a gated house, because that poor man Lazarus was laid outside that gate. So we see this man separated from the outside world, unaffected, unconcerned, indifferent, totally self-centered and self-absorbed. You know, his greatest sin wasn't in the fact that he was wealthy or that he even fared sumptuously. The greatest sin was that he did nothing but live for himself. Just a few yards away as he was wallowing in his, in his luxury, luxury there behind this gate, just a few yards away was this man, Lazarus, full of sores, probably half naked and starving out there outside this man's gate. But this man uh, was totally indifferent to his plight. You know, things were different back in these days in Bible times. Lazarus wasn't there by choice. Lazarus wasn't a man who just refused to work. He wasn't looking for a way to work the system or get free handouts or anything like that, Lazarus had a dire, dire need. He was unable to provide for himself. It says he was laid at this rich man's gate, which indicates he couldn't even walk there himself, full of sores and disease in his body. You know, there's a big difference between helping somebody and enabling somebody. This man desperately needed help. 
There were also certain laws during this time in Israel that commanded the wealthy to take care of the poor that were among them. Many laws that instructed uh, and put that obligation on those like this rich man here to take care of those that were poor and less fortunate. So this man, this rich man, he was given a perfect opportunity not only to fulfill his obligation to his fellow man, but to fulfill the law of God. But he completely missed it. He overlooked it. He was only concerned about himself. Well, that was the life of the rich man. Then we turn to verse 20 and 21. It gives us a little description about Lazarus. It says, and there was a certain beggar. I'm sorry, it says, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. said he was laid at this man's gate, physically unable to even get there himself. He was full of sores. This rich man was wrapped in the finest clothing, and Lazarus was covered with sores, probably had this old beggar's garment that barely covered him up, diseased desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from this man's table. Well, Lazarus wouldn't have been allowed anywhere near this man's table. Some traditions say that actually people that were wealthy like this rich man, it was kind of a custom of the day, they would actually use bread as napkins and they would actually wipe their hands with pieces of bread and they'd throw those pieces of bread on the floor and later it would be swept up by the maid or the servant tossed out in the street for the mongrels and the dogs. And so Lazarus, if he could get a piece of that bread, he might have felt like it was a good day, but that's what he desired to be fed with. This rich man had no uh, sympathy or compassion at all, no concern for Lazarus. And it says the dogs came and licked his sores. You know, they say a dog is a man's best friend. Well, in this case, it was probably true. Those were his only friends, maybe his only companions. This rich man surrounded himself with the highest members of society. And here we see Lazarus being, uh, being visited by the dogs and comforted by the dogs in the street. Totally different. A complete contrast in lifestyles. Even though they were only separated by a gate, maybe a few yards, they might have been living on different ends of the planet. Their lives were so different. But then we come to verse 22. Verse 22 brings these two men together. There's something they did have in common. It says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. They both died. Death is the great equalizer. One day, if we live to be old enough and if the Lord tarries, one day we all will die. That's just a fact. Nobody gets out of here alive, as they say. Well, these men both died. And we know there's life after death. It is not annihilation or oblivion. There is life after death. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees of this day believed that if a man was suffered in this life, that he was cursed by God, and if he was blessed and prosperous, he must have been blessed by God. That was their perception. But we see a much different story here as we continue 
in this account. There's an old tombstone in Indiana with its inscription. It says, Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And some unknown passenger added these words to the tombstone. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. So death will come. And there's a destination, one of two destinations. But the good news is we can know where we're headed. The contrast between these two men doesn't end in death, but it's completely reversed. Lazarus, it tells us, was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And Abraham's bosom was a reference to paradise or the dwelling place of God. It's where uh, Lazarus was in company with the patriarchs of the old faith. Abraham was one of the greatest patriarchs. So it's a picture of this place, uh, paradise, this place of honor, this place of comfort and eternal bliss. And that's where Lazarus, in a moment of time, closed his eyes, and in a moment of time he woke up in paradise. He was carried by the angels on earth. Lazarus was carried to this rich man's gate and laid outside the gate. Now we see him being carried by the angels and placed inside the heavenly gate. You know, Lazarus went from an earthly hell to an eternal heaven. Just a moment of time. That's how fast eternity will happen. It's just a moment of time. There was no mention of a funeral for Lazarus, but that was unimportant. Death marked the end of his earthly suffering and the beginning of his eternal joy. He was carried by the angels into heaven. Well, it tells us the rich man also died and was buried. Lazarus died and was carried. The rich man died and was buried. And it tells us in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. You know, this man probably had the best funeral that money could buy. All the pomp and pageantry and all the uh, fine accolades and all the fancy speeches, all of the prominent members of society were probably there to give this man a send-off. But it says in hell, he lifted up his eyes. You know, in a moment of time, everything this rich man had was swept away. Every idol, all those fine clothes, that accumulated wealth, gone in a second, in a moment of time. In hell, he lifted up his eyes. You know, there's no reference to soul sleep. There's no intermediate state that a soul goes to. There's no purgatory, not mentioned anywhere in God's Word. It says immediately in hell, he lifted up his eyes. Oh, I tell you, his... uh, You know, in a moment of time, he closed his eyes on all those earthly riches and opened up in hell. And we see now that in hell, this man became the beggar. This one who would pass by Lazarus and probably refuse to meet his request for even a scrap of bread. Now we read in verse 24, how the tables have turned. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. 
Well, his request went unheeded because there's no help. Once a soul is in hell, they're there forever, and there's no help. Imagine begging this filthy old beggar Lazarus, this man who the uh, this rich man would have done anything to avoid. Now he's begging, just have him put his finger in water and just touch the tip of my tongue that I can be somehow comforted in this flame. But of course, it wasn't to be. You know, this man did take one thing with him to hell. He took his memories. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great goal fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. I think one of the greatest torments of hell will be the memories that people take with them when they go there. Memories probably of all of those lost opportunities, all those chances when they could have repented, maybe those times when God pricked their hearts and they resisted and they hardened their hearts to the call of the Holy Spirit, maybe times when they heard a sermon or a message or a song and their heart was stirred and they resisted. All of those things are going to come flashing before their eyes. This man had nothing but his memories. That's what he took with him from this past life. But instead of comforting him, it only added to his torments. And again, he's reminded here, there's this great goal fixed between heaven and hell. You can't pass over. No matter how much you may want to, you're separated for all eternity. You know, in this life, there were just a few yards and a gate that separated these two men. But now, in death and in eternity, there's this great chasm that can't be crossed over. You know, in life, in life we know there is a gulf between God and man. It's a great gulf. But thank God in this life, that gulf can be spanned. The Lord provided us a way to do that. His death on the cross, His sacrificial death, He paid the penalty for our sins and became the ransom for our sins. And He offers us salvation through Jesus Christ by repenting. That gulf can be crossed over, but it must be done in this life. In eternity, it's going to be too late. And this rich man neglected to take the opportunity to make his peace with the Lord Unfortunately, in eternity it will be too late. That great gulf will be crossable in this life, but in eternity it becomes uncrossable. You know, this rich man had one last request. Verse 27 through 31 says, He said, I pray thee, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come also into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You know, all of a sudden in hell, this man had a burden for his lost loved ones. All of a sudden he cared about where they might spend eternity. 
You know, I wonder if he ever spent even five minutes of this life considering his own soul or the destiny of those he loved. But now in eternity, he has all the eternity to think about what he missed, the opportunities and the filled example that he was, and it plagues him and it torments him. And hell is too late to pray for our loved ones, to have a burden for them. He thought, well, if he'd send somebody back from the dead, then they would believe. But we know the response was, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And again, we see this rich man almost like he's arguing from hell. No, 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 not enough, not enough. It wasn't enough for him because he neglected to take advantage of what was provided. But he was told, even if one rose from the dead, if they don't believe the law and the prophets, if they don't believe God's word, if that is enough, even if one came back from the dead, they won't believe. You know, if God's holy word, if the preaching of God's word, if the commandments and instructions in God's word, if the warnings against hell and judgment we find in God's word, if the power of the Holy Spirit on God's word if Christ's death and burial and resurrection that we read about in the Word of God, if that isn't enough to convince somebody, nothing else will be enough. Nothing else could be done. Jesus paid the price. He paid that price so that we wouldn't have to go to this place where this rich man ended up. You know, there were other accounts in God's Word where Jesus did raise people from the dead. Ironically, read about another man by the name of Lazarus, a different Lazarus. But we know when Jesus called him out of the grave after four days, some believed, but many didn't. So that some of the Jews that were there, that witnessed that, ran and they told the scribes and Pharisees, what he had done? And rather than believe, they conspired against Jesus to try to put him to death. And they wanted to put Lazarus to death again because they had rejected the word of God. The light they had been given was all they needed, and yet they rejected it. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the dead to purchase our salvation. Nothing else can be done than what's already been done. Lazarus died and was carried into heaven. The rich man died and he was cast into hell. You know, I don't want anyone to think for a moment that the rich man ended up in hell because of his wealth or his riches. Not so, no more than the fact that Lazarus ended up in heaven because of his poverty. It had nothing to do with it. Riches aren't a sin. Poverty is not a virtue. These were just circumstances these men face, but circumstances don't determine where we spend eternity. Choices do. Each one of these men had a choice to make in this life. Maybe circumstances made it easier for one to choose than the other. Maybe possibly because Lazarus was impoverished and he was so needy, maybe it caused him to depend upon the Lord. The name Lazarus means God is my helper. Somewhere in his existence, he found the time to call on the name of the Lord and he was uh, saved. He had a right relationship with God. And the rich man neglected to do that. You know, circumstances have nothing to do with our salvation. The unsaved can die filthy rich. Well, the saved can die filthy poor. We see it here again in this account. 
It all comes down to a choice and a decision that we must make. The Lord has provided a remedy. We do not have to go to hell. That is the good news of the gospel. Jesus provided a way so we would never have to get there or go there. I'll close with one other story I read a few years ago. There used to be a nightclub in the city of Chicago, and it actually was called the Gates of Hell. That was the literal name of this place. And if you wanted to spend a night in debauchery, that's where you would go, to the Gates of Hell. And it was well known around the city because of its name. It matched its reputation, matched the name. And a young man decided to go check it out one day. And so he wasn't familiar with the city, and he saw a man on the street that looked like a local, and he asked him, he says, can you tell me how to get to the gates of hell? Well, the local said to the young man, you are already pretty close to it. Just walk down this street and turn the corner, and you will find it halfway down the block. Go down this street and turn right and go past Calvary. Once you go past Calvary, you can't miss it. The church at the corner was called Calvary Baptist Church. And the young man was told, if you want to get to the gates of hell, just walk right past Calvary and you will find it. Well, no one knows whether that man actually went there that day or not. But you know, the way to get to the real gates of hell is just to walk past Calvary. We were all destined to go there at one time, but aren't you thankful between us and eternity, there's this place called Calvary. Jesus paid the price. He made the provision. He offers us that, uh, offers salvation even today. There's no chance in eternity to change your destiny. That choice, that decision must be made in this life. You know, if we stop at the foot of the cross, if we stop at Calvary, we'll avoid the gates of hell. But if you walk right past it, that's where you're going to end up. But the choice is yours. Really, it comes down to a choice for each one of us this morning. Your standing in life, your social position, your 401k, your bank account has nothing to do with it. It's all about a personal choice. You must be born again. But God offers us that opportunity today. And if we're saved, you know, I want to be stirred in my heart to continue to make sure that my life is pleasing to the Lord because when that moment of eternity comes, there's no changing it. And thank God, if you're not ready this morning, you're going to have peace in your heart. The Lord can drop that peace down in your heart if you're willing to confess your sin, repent, take advantage of the provisions that the Lord has made on that cross. God will bless you today. Let's sing 488. These altars are open.